If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. I like you just the way you are. You're braver than you believe, and stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. Parenting is a sacrifice, it's exhausting, it's expensive, at times it feels thankless, but eventually you die. Welcome to the Kid Doc Good Job Being the Mom podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping mothers and fathers through supporting, enabling, and empowering them in their amazing role as parents. We are doing this episode at the start of cold and flu season, so we thought it would be timely to talk about RSV. So, Dad, what is RSV? So, RSV is respiratory syncytial virus, and the name really tells you why it is such a challenging virus, because the syncytium refers to the lining of the respiratory tract. So, the entire respiratory tract is affected by this virus from your nose all the way to your lungs. And that's what makes it one of the worst respiratory viruses. And it's also one of our croup-causing viruses. Why does it have such a bad reputation compared to other colds? Because it affects the entire respiratory tract, it hits kids way harder than other respiratory viruses that might just cause a runny nose or a cough. So with RSV, you get about 2% of the kids getting hospitalized, which is much higher than with other respiratory viruses. Right. Although 2% isn't a huge number when it's 2% of everybody, that's a lot of kids in the hospital. A lot of kids in the hospital. So RSV isn't just a disease for children, but we mostly hear about it in children, right? Yeah. Everybody has RSV by about age two to three. So the key is how old are you when you first get infected? So the younger you are, the harder it hits you. And anyone can get it any year. I think because we test a lot more in children, we identify this virus in them a lot more, but anyone can get it every year. If more adults were tested for RSV, we would better appreciate how widespread this virus is during wintertime. Should we be testing for this more in adults? I think we should, where knowledge is power, like Schoolhouse Rock, and having better data drives better decisions. I think a lot less adults would get antibiotics for respiratory infections if they knew it was RSV and not something else. What are the symptoms of RSV in children? Initially, RSV appears as a cold with a profuse runny nose, loose hacking cough, and lower grade fevers in the 100 to 102 degree range. I can almost always tell when a kid comes in by how hacky their cough is. I'm like, this is probably RSV. But then by about 48 hours of their illness, the disease progresses to more severe respiratory symptoms. How can parents differentiate between a regular cold and a potential RSV infection? It's the worsening respiratory symptoms, including faster and labored breathing and wheezing that comes on at that 48-hour mark that characterizes these more severe RSV infections. When should parents worry? When I see that labored and noisy breathing, that's what drives parents to come in. They never miss it. They never think, oh, I wonder if they're doing fine. They always always look really bad because they're working so hard to breathe. They have a really fast breathing rate. There is wheezing. And then there are the retractions where the skin is sucking in around their collarbones and their ribs. It's, It's not subtle. Yeah. What makes RSV so hard for kids, especially under the age of two? Well, it's really as simple as the fact that Smaller children have smaller airways that are more seriously affected by that mucus that blocks their small airways. 
larger kids have larger airways that are not as impacted as severely as much as smaller kids with smaller airways. Yeah. And this is where the term bronchiolitis comes into play in connection with RSV. Why does RSV cause bronchiolitis? Well, that term, that, that, that really that suffix itis is, refers to inflammation. And so the bronchioles are the medium-sized airways that become inflamed and obstructed with RSV. And so it causes bronchiolitis. And the smaller children have smaller bronchioles. And when these airways become inflamed and obstructed, then they have wheezing and really labored breathing. How does RSV impact children differently across various age groups? Well, like you asked about earlier, so RSV occurs in any age group every year, but we have these cycles of high and low amounts of RSV every other year. In older children, it is a particularly bad cold, but they don't often end up in the hospital unless they have some underlying medical conditions like asthma. It is interesting that every virus, every germ has its particular symptoms, whether it's fever, cough, runny nose symptoms in various degrees. Yeah, it's almost like a fingerprint for every every virus has things that kind of stand out, like influenza has 105 fever, and they all have different characteristics. And RSV is always a particularly bad cold with more cough and runny nose symptoms and less fever in older kids, but doesn't appear as severe because they have seen it before and they are simply larger. And so the RSV is affecting their small bodies in a worse way. It can exacerbate asthma though. And I have had some pretty sick older kids with RSV flaring up their asthma. What symptoms do adults have? They have severe cold symptoms. It's kind of their worst cold they're going to have. And then oftentimes they're incorrectly diagnosed with bacterial bronchitis and given antibiotics. And as a croup causing virus, it often causes laryngitis in adults. So they have a you know, deeper hoarse voice as part Got of the it. problem. Yeah. Okay. People often say they're worried their child's cold will turn into RSV. Do you get that from your patients? Yeah, it's a really common misconception that any cold will turn into RSV, but really you either have RSV or you don't. When should you see your doctor? I say early if it is RSV season or you have a known exposure to somebody that has RSV and you want them tested early in the disease course or really any concerns that you have about how they are doing, breathing, hydration, et cetera. Are there specific groups of children more vulnerable to severe RSV complications and which kids are at higher risk? So anybody who has a history of asthma or eczema in themselves or a first degree relative, siblings, parents, or whatever, if they're premature, especially those who are on oxygen, and then any underlying medical conditions such as heart problems set them up for more complications and higher risk. Got it. What is the significance of early detection and timely medical intervention? Is it helpful to come in early? I think there is some benefit to early diagnosis because the earlier we can identify RSV, the better, because you get about to 48 hours where the symptoms can get worse. So early identification prepares us for what to expect from RSV rather than um, any other random cold-causing virus. There is a predictable course for the severity of symptoms and duration of symptoms, right? Yeah, it's pretty scripted where you can really tell based on you know where they're at. And like I said, they almost always come in at that 48-hour mark because they were doing okay with just a cold, but then now they're not doing well and parents are really worried. So the early testing gives us the ability to be more aggressive early on to prevent complications that may require hospitalization like low oxygen or dehydration. 
What care can parents give for RSV at home? So the mainstay for treatment, because there's just so much mucus in this disease, like more than with any other cold they have, is really frequent nasal saline, irrigation, and suctioning with a bulb syringe or a nose Frida or electric suctioning device. And I've had children admitted to the hospital from the ER when I went in in the middle of the night. And really all they needed was excellent nose suctioning with a bunch of salt water. And so also having that good hydration, I've had kids come in because of the dehydration because they simply couldn't eat well enough. So you need that, you know, hydration and feeding to prevent dehydration. Yeah. And you often say you're too thrifty to buy saline drops. What's the recipe for making saline at home? Yeah, I just, I just, I'm morally, morally opposed to buying salt water. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a half a, t- half a teaspoon of salt and one cup of warm water. And you can use that to irrigate their nose with about 10 to 20 drops in each side of their nose. Then you can clean out the bulb syringe after you you use that. You definitely don't want to have, you know, that bulb syringe full of mucus. And so you want to clean that out really well too. So, What are the treatment options for RSV? So when somebody comes in the office, our treatment options are we have the ability to do a lot of saline and machine suctioning. And for those who have eczema or asthma, we can use albuterol and steroids as prescriptions to help out and do breathing treatments at home. Um, there's a lot of data saying that for the average child with, with bronchiolitis, that albuterol and steroids aren't helpful. But for a subgroup, there's benefit to using those medications. And then we can help provide education for how to treat treat at home. And I think parents are really hesitant to do all the saline and suctioning, that kind of waterboarding for their kids. The kids hate it. But if we can teach them, you know, how important that is and that it will keep the kids out of the hospital, then it helps to kind of kind of cheerlead and encourage them. And then the other things are the hospital has resources with the respiratory outpatient clinic for 24-7 respiratory therapist evaluation. It's inexpensive. They'll suction, they'll, they'll check their oxygen, check their vital signs, you know, anytime day or night at all the local hospitals. And then they can have the hospital if they need that because they're low on oxygen or they're dehydrated. What are the potential complications from RSV? I see a higher rate of second, secondary infections like bacterial sinus and ear infections that are pretty common. Um, there can be some pneumonias, but those aren't very common. What preventative measures can parents take to reduce the risk of RSV in their children? Well, this is a hard one because you're basically saying, how do I have my kids not get sick? Right. But I, I think that when you have the older kids who are sick running around the house, they have a high fever or fever, they have tons of snot congestion. Then you can quarantine the baby away from the sick kids and you know those that are running around the house because this is an airborne disease. So just sharing the same airspace with the sick kids puts the babies at risk. There are two types of immunizations for RSV, one for the mother and then one for babies. Yeah, so there is an immunization that the mother can receive in the late stages of pregnancy, and then she'll pass on antibodies to the baby before they are born. Um, it's not quite the same as what we do for pertussis, but with whooping cough, we started doing a pertussis update for moms. So she'll pass on antibodies to the baby so they come out immunized against pertussis, which has been amazingly helpful for kids not getting whooping cough um, after they're born. Yeah. And if the mother doesn't receive the immunization, there is another opportunity for the child. Right. So for the newborns, the, the neonates and infants that are born during or, or entering the first RSV season, they're eligible to receive this. And that's up to eight months of age. And then in a second season, so children up to 24 months um, who remain vulnerable to severe RSV, 
like I mentioned, you know, on oxygen, other health problems, they can receive that through their second RSV season. And it's a little bit different. You know, you actually are giving the antibody to the child. Um, you know, in a, in a traditional vaccination, you help them help their body make antibodies, but you actually give antibodies kind of like when a baby's born, they have antibodies from mother. And like you mentioned in that first immunization, but they are actually given antibodies, you know, and then those last for about six months. Well, are there any misconceptions about RSV that you'd like to address? Um, I think the one that I hear most often is like, does RSV cause asthma or did it, does it damage lungs? And the answer is no. Um, when kids are hospitalized with asthma, I think parents are wondering, did the RSV damage your lungs? But in reality, the kids with a, a worse presentation from RSV probably already had an underlying predisposition to wheezing. They already had eczema or asthma in themselves or a family member. And it wasn't bad because RSV damaged them and, and caused asthma. Yeah. Do you have a favorite RSV story? You know, I've had so many kids with RSV over the past 20 years, but I, I do remember the one that I can always picture in my mind was that um, I was just new to practice 22 years ago. And I had a new family that had moved from California with a little baby. And they were worried about their baby in the middle of this big stormy night, that crazy bad storm. And I met them over at the ER at Davis Hospital. And he was not doing well with RSV and was too sick for our pediatric floor at Davis and needed to be transported to primary children's. But the storm was too bad. They couldn't bring out life flight um, where they can manage little babies that might need to be intubated if they're bad enough. But we found um, an ambulance with a mobile like ICU that could transport this very sick baby to drive him through the storm to Salt Lake to primary children. But but he's back now from a church mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and winding up college. And but I just I've never forgotten that ER, you know, that mom, that mm-hmm. that baby, and that whole experience, you know, of, um, of being able to intervene with a really bad disease in a really um, you know, kind of, yeah, a crazy moment and storm and just, yeah, it's just kind of, you know, what I love about being able to, um, you know, care for, for kids and their families and it's mm-hmm. wonderful. So yeah. 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 To survive RSV. Yep. Well, awesome. Thanks yeah. for sharing dad. Um, that wraps up our episode about RSV. Thanks for listening and have a great one. Thanks, Sam. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to getting together again next time. Kid Doc is available wherever you find your other favorite podcast. If you enjoyed what we shared with you today, be sure to like us and subscribe to help other listeners like you find us. On our website, we will add supporting materials and other helpful items from this and other podcasts. The opinions expressed in this podcast, while carefully considered, are ultimately the opinions of the presenters and not necessarily of our employers, or of any other organizations with which we are affiliated. And remember, the content of this podcast shouldn't be seen as a substitute for seeking actual personal medical care. If this is an emergency, hang up and dial 911. Otherwise, schedule a visit with a caring doctor to help with your concerns.